In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You know how the story goes. Jesus got in the boat, and his disciples followed him. Then a great storm arose on the sea that threatened to destroy the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went to Jesus and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. So Jesus got up. He threw himself into the sea and drowned. And there was a great calm. Well, perhaps you were expecting a different ending. But if you had never heard this story before, and you were familiar with the Old Testament story of Jonah, then you may well have expected the story to go something more like I just told it, rather than the way Matthew told it. The stories start out the same. Jonah gets in the boat, Jesus gets in the boat. A great storm arises in both stories. The sailors in Jonah's boat are afraid. The disciples, too, are afraid. The captain of the boat comes to Jonah. The disciples come to Jesus. But here is where the stories diverge. The captain speaks to Jonah. And here I am relying on the Septuagint so that you can hear the echoes in Matthew more clearly. The captain says, Get up! Call on your God so that he will save us and we will not perish. But the disciples don't say that. They don't ask Jesus to pray to God to save them so they won't perish. They say directly to him, Lord, save us, we are perishing. The most striking feature of Matthew's story is that Jesus stands in the place of Yahweh. He does not pray to Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That's how the story goes in Jonah. He is the Lord of the sea. He is the one who can save the disciples. The one greater than Jonah has arrived. Now, the other major character in the story besides Jesus is the sea itself. Throughout the scriptures, the sea is described as chaotic and destructive. The psalmist tells us, its waters roar and surge and the mountains quake with their surging. In Revelation, the beast with ten horns and seven heads arises from the sea. And this is not just a literary device. The sea actually is like this. When the sea breached the boundaries that were set for it by the Corps of Engineers in New Orleans, nearly 2,000 people died. When the sea lost control in Southeast Asia, the day after Christmas in 2004, Nearly 200,000 people died. In one fell swoop, the sea dwarfed Al-Qaeda in destruction, killing more than 60 times the number who died in the September 11th attacks. Bin Laden could only dream of such a body count. 
And yet this force of massive destruction is never outside of the control of its creator. You rule the raging of the sea, the psalmist declares. When its waves rise, you still them. In fact, God will ultimately calm the sea for good. One of the features of the new heavens and the new earth, according to John in Revelation, is that the sea was no more. Jesus' reenactment of the Jonah story then reveals that he is the Lord to whom Jonah prayed. He is the one who has authority over creation. The one greater than Jonah has arrived. But there is more to Jesus than being the ruler of wind and wave. If that's all there were to him, then Matthew would have no further need of the Jonah story. Especially the part where Jonah is thrown overboard and swallowed by the fish. But Matthew's not done with Jonah. When the scribes and Pharisees want to see a sign from Jesus, he tells them that no sign will be given to them except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, he tells them, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The story of Jonah not only reveals Jesus as the Lord of creation, but it also serves as a picture in miniature of what Jesus accomplished for our salvation. So perhaps it is not entirely off the mark to imagine Jesus throwing himself into the sea. God sent that storm, the one that that threatened Jonah's boat with destruction. It was no freak meteorological event. The sailors knew full well that God demanded the life of the guilty party. And the only way to calm that storm was to throw Jonah overboard. But even the most violent raging and surging of the sea pales in comparison with the ferocity of God's wrath against human sin. The same wrath that whipped up the winds and the waves against Jonah's boat will be revealed on the last day as a chaos of fire that threatens to consume all who transgress the law of God. Jonah could not run away, and neither can we. That is why Jesus took our sin upon himself and himself became the guilty party. He went to Jerusalem and there he threw himself into the lake of fire. He not only drowned, he swallowed the entire sea, absorbing into himself the full punishment of God's wrath, draining the cup of wrath to the very dregs. So for you, there is no lake of fire. Then just as Jonah did not stay imprisoned in the sea, Jesus did not stay imprisoned in the heart of the earth. But he came back to life on the third day. And he forced the sea to spit out those dead that the sea contained. 
This we will see on the last day, as John tells us in Revelation, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And then, death and Hades are the ones who get thrown into the lake of fire. But for you, there is a great calm. The one who is greater than Jonah has arrived. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 